Hi, this is uh, Stephen. And John. And this is Quixotic. Uh, so in this episode, John, finally, after, what is this, like 10 damn episodes, and we keep bringing this up, John finally watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He yeah. stated that Zemeckis is his favorite film director, and he's yet to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was a classic to all of us while we were growing up, except for John. John never had the pleasure of watching it. Um, I also convinced John to watch Oscar with Sylvester Stallone, um, which, while not a classic, is still a, a good movie. Uh, so we'll get his take on it. And then John decided to get me to watch Videodrome, which I have never seen. Uh, I've seen other Cronenberg movies, but that would be the one that I have yet to have ever seen. Have that I has not changed. Have I seen other Cronenberg movies? I don't know. Have you? Have you seen Naked Lunch? No. Okay. Um, I doubt you've seen any of them. Then that would existence with Jude Law. No. No. Um. I'm really okay now. Now I'm at a loss here, man. If you've never seen other ones, that would be the only one that you've seen is Videodrome. I guess so. The Fly. You've seen The Fly. I've seen The Fly. Okay, that with with uh, uh, Malk, um, Jeff Goldblum. Thank you, Dana Davis. Yep, nineteen eighty six. There you go. Yeah. Um, let me see. You've never seen Cosmopolis. I've never seen that one. Eastern Parmasis was actually a really good one. Um, I doubt you've seen that one though. A History of Violence. Have you seen A History of Violence? No. How do you see all these movies, dude? I I just watch movies. Uh, scanners. Have you seen scanners? No. Okay. But no, how do you, how, like, what do you mean? I'm not married. I'm single. I love film. (laughs) Okay. And on what context did you see scanners? I never saw scanners. So I can't say that I've seen it, but I'm asking if you've seen it. Because in my mind, I would expect that maybe you've seen it once. So, Nope. Okay. The fly did. So I'm just. I'm going. I'm looking real fast. Apparently, he was an. I, mean, actor. I could say that. Yeah, he's done a few acting things. Um, and butterfly. I have no clue what M butterfly is. What? Like oh, he, d- he directed M butterfly, which seems like the most normal film that he's probably ever done. I thought Naked Lunch was a lot older. No, that's that's where Naked Lunch is at, man. Um, 90s. It's a weird movie. It's a really weird movie. Like Videodrome? No. Nothing like Videodrome. Well, I like, mean to like it, but I mean it's weird like it. Yeah, it's weird like it, but are you going to understand... Like, you can you can follow the plot of Videodrome. Like, he's not trying to do anything out of the ordinary. It's It's literally like... You know, he's not trying to convince you that James Woods is, and we're going way off topic here, but we could talk about it anyways. He's not trying to convince you that James Wood is either living in a false reality or reality. Like at the end of the day, the two are blended. He has hallucinations and they eventually become his reality, right? That is Videodrome. Naked Lunch, you really don't know, like he's a cockroach. It's, it's a really fucking weird movie. Okay. Um, so he gives Lynch a run for his money. In that one, yes. 
Yes. History of Violence is really good. If you've never seen a History of Violence, that's one I would suggest. Viggo Mortensen. I've seen History of Violence. I didn't know that was him. That seems like uh, a very ordinary movie. If that's it is, it is an yeah, I, I'll give you that it is an ordinary movie. Um but it is for being like what he's done. Um yeah, okay, I'll give you that. It's probably a very it's it's like his uh, his uh, short story um, or his uh, what, what was Lynch's tractor story. Um, I can't remember right now what the name of it was, but but Lynch did the whole like just movie about a guy riding a tractor across the, the U.S. So, all right, man. All right. So. But we we know how we, we went off on Cronenberg to start this whole thing. We'll, we'll get back into Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what we're drinking. What are you having this evening, John? This evening, and it might not look like it because they are very red. <laughs> I am drinking the classic Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Now, the right. reason why why they are so red is because uh, one, I, I threw a little cherry juice in because I'm not a big whiskey fan. And two, I could not get a hold of Angostura bitters, so I'm just using classic cocktail bitters, which are just red. Oh, nice. So that's why this Manhattan... Manhattan's is like a whiskey with a red tinge to it. Yeah. This is just red, but... Yeah, I like these, even though, yes, again, not the world's biggest whiskey guy, but I do like these. What kind of... uh Whiskey are you using for it? Uh, rye bourbon. Whatever whatever I used for the mint juleps last time. That's what I'm using this time. But Marco. Why can't I remember? Are you a... Uh, bullet? Bullet. So if you wanted to sound whatever. fancy, it's bullet? Right? It's not fancy. It's mid-shelf. <laughs> mid-shelf liquor. Yeah, well, you wouldn't be mixing high-shelf You don't liquor. use high-end liquor for yeah. mixing... So what do you so, use? You don't use bottom shelf liquor after twenty one. So true. How so, so? How do you make a Manhattan? Because I've never made a Manhattan. I've never drank a Manhattan. So Manhattan please. is rye rye whiskey with sweet vermouth or Italian red vermouth, whatever you want to say. Uh, dashes and a few dashes of bitters garnished with a cherry. And if you really want to, I'm not a big garnish guy. Like I put the olive in the, in the martini, I put the cherry in the mat, but I'm not huge on garnishes. Um, but if you want to, you would also garnish, you would garnish it with a cherry and an orange peel. Uh, okay. And if you take this and serve it in the rocks, take out the vermouth. And serve it on the rocks in a rocks glass instead of a martini glass. That's an old fashioned. That's the only difference between a Mar- uh, Manhattan and an old fashioned. Literally, and then, Ruth and on the rocks. Okay, fair enough. Yep. And use Scotch instead of rye, and that old fashioned becomes a Rob Roy. Hmm. So pretty simple to make like three drinks just with a small difference in what you use. Interesting. Yep. Huh. Even have the same garnishes. Wow. Easy for, easy for bartenders. That is easy for sure. bartenders. And again, yeah. Manhattan is right up there with the martini in terms of classics. 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting to me though. Like when you when you brought brought that up, I wonder if half the reason why some of these cocktails are made the way that they are, um, these this ease for bartenders is a so that way bartenders don't have to know a million different drink recipes, right? So and drinks get out quicker. You know, I mean, yeah. if you look at the history of it, like I wonder if that was kind of the reason was just like just do this instead of this, and you got this drink. Do this instead of this, and you got this drink. There's right? that. There is that. And like I said, the whole uh, originally got from Mountain Brown, like the birth of the margarita was Sidecar. Yeah. Because Sidecar is brandy, uh, lemon juice, and orange liqueur garnished with, or, uh, with a sugar-rimmed glass. Yeah. Switch the lemon juice to lime juice, switch the brandy to tequila, yeah. and switch the sugar for salt, and it's a margarita. Yeah. Uh, so same template of a drink, though. Mm-hmm. There's that. And then obviously there wasn't as many options in the classic golden era of cocktails as there, there's all sorts of just weird well, stuff now. It's, um, it's the same thing as like food. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's this just idea of like having to always push the envelope. And so some of these like places that are known for being mixologists, you know, kind of those, I can see that they want to kind of push that envelope and be like, well, we just don't serve the regulars. We want to give you some experience, something different. Like, where we went in San Mateo that one night, right? Mm-hmm. That, that went crazy with, um, what did they do? They charred the the leaves? Dude, the those cocktails were absurd. Like, I couldn't even wrap my head around them. <laughs> um, it was like, here, have some smoky flavor to your cocktail, and we're going to add rosemary. But nothing about it was regular. It was, like, strange. And it was even, I mean, I got to give it up to them. I think because I asked for a martini there, and they're like, we're not that kind of bar. <laughs> Kind of bar where you can't get a martini. What kind of bar is that? You know. Here, let me show you, and I'm going to flame throw this these leaves over your drink. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I find you know the golden era of classic cocktails interesting to me. That's why I got into it. I'm not opposed to like your modern day college frat party, like all the weird, crazy drinks they make now for college kids. There's something to be said for those two, and at least in terms of making them, they're kind of fun and yeah. stuff like that. But you just you can't beat a classic, and no, you can't. Like how how do you? So and it's hard. Like it's hard for me to entertain. I'll have people over, and the kind of people I'm around, like they drink out of solo cups. So so they come to my house and they get served cocktails in a martini glass, and they're like, "What? Yeah. What is this? Hey." That's because you hang out with me. You know, you know, you know. I, I like the finer things in life. So, but yeah, but I just—it's not even like the finer things in life because I don't buy expensive liquor or anything like that. But it's just, yeah, there, there, there was an art to this, you know. And, and even you know, even when we were dumb kids, I was never one to you know let's let's get the biggest bottle of cheapest crap we can and like. Mix it with soda and just get tank. We I've never liked that, and that's a good way to get a headache in the morning. But. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we learned that at a very young age, like when we we're doing shots of Everclear. So you know that was just something that I just I, got done saying we didn't do that. We did do that. You and you're gonna ex- you're gonna expose us here. I'm gonna expose us. I'm sorry, dude. I've told plenty of people that we used to do shots of Everclear. I didn't do shots of Everclear that I recall. Uh, I remember the very <laughs> first time I ever got drunk, I did white grape jello shots with Everclear. Um, 
Yeah, I just remember being at a mutual friend's house, uh, cowboy hat and all, and uh, they had Everclear in the freezer, and myself and a few others, I thought you were included in that, were doing shots of straight Everclear. You leave me out of that. But granted, that's the house that we used to drink Jägermeister all the time in. So. Yeah, Jäger, yeah. Oh, God. Those days, those days. So what all right. What am I drinking? So this is, so I went to Cozumel, uh, got back a couple weeks ago. This is why we couldn't do our podcast because I was enjoying Mexico. Um, Sorry, uh, Cancun, not Cozumel. Um, I brought back a bottle of tequila. This is uh, Addictivo. I I can't say that right, probably. Addictivo tequila. It's the black label uh, and it is the extra Anejo. So it's aged 12 years. Uh, this is the most caramel-colored tequila I've ever seen. So, so the so sweetest. Did I tell you sixteen? Then it's, it's sixteen. Sorry, it is the most. Twelve. Twelve is really bad. Yeah. Well, I give you a hard time about sixteen, but if it's twelve years old, then you call <laughs> me a pervert. <laughs> You're an asshole. You're an asshole. Um. Anyways, uh, this is this is the most caramel colored tequila I think I've ever seen. It tastes like rum. It smells like rum. It's just it's sweet. Like it's you can tell it's got a little bit of that tequila ness to it. But this is one. This is definitely a sipper. You don't need any sort of chaser with it. So you don't need any salt. You don't need any lime. It's just it's a very smooth. Like this is probably the best tequila I will have ever drank in my life. It's it's there's no bite there's nothing to it, it it almost just feels like syrup going down. So so you would not serve it to me in a shot glass if I was over there. I I'd give it to you in a shot glass and then I'd smack you in the fucking face if you decided to shoot it. So well, I still remember that when we went to the Cuban restaurant and you ordered rum and they put it in a shot glass. So what did I do? I should, you shot, shot it. it. You're like no, this it's a separate. <laughs> It was already gone. <laughs> it was gone. I was like, you fucker. Uh, John just doesn't understand how to well, drink. Well, if, if you're supposed to sip a drink, it's supposed to be served in a glass like you're drinking right now. If it's in a shot glass, you don't sip it. I'd smack you for drinking, for sipping out of a shot glass. Well, it depends. That was an expensive rum. You don't sit there and... So serve it in a bigger glass. Maybe they were out of bigger glasses. Change their story, John, and then everything will make sense. Is that place even still around? It is, man. In fact, I ordered dinner from there tonight. It's a wonderful place, man. I love that place. Hmm. Um, if if this if if this girl and I last long enough, I know she's going to go there one night and she's going to enjoy it because we're going to get a picture of mojitos. Um, so, and I still like the one cocktail you actually drink. I uh, probably actually, yeah. So, because it's rum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also the fort, man. I gotta, I gotta take her to the fort because she does like to eat meat. And where do you take any good meat eater? The fort. So. Is, she, is she last long enough? Like, what are you gonna do to her? Uh, <laughs> scare the fuck away. That's what I'll do to her. Unfortunately. Um, that is my luck with women. So you take them to the fort, not the buckhorn, huh? Well, fuck the buckhorn, man. That's that's horrible food. 
Buckhorn Exchange is not. I ate there once. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, I did. I took, I, took, I took the last girlfriend to the Buckhorn Exchange just because she'd like never tried it. No, it's not. But it's funny that that's the night that we did break up. Um, uh, <laughs> man, that place is betting a thousand for you, isn't it? <laughs> you sure you're not just biased? No, I'm I'm 100% certain that that was it's not bias. It's also no, you're not the best judge of meat because shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> I used to eat meat regularly. Like I was grass-fed beef, steaks, prime rib, like all that shit. So don't don't give me shit, right? And I still eat lamb, and you know I still eat lamb because I cooked you a goddamn great lamb for Thanksgiving. So used shut the be. fuck up. It used to be. I still eat lamb. I still eat chicken. I still eat some meat, man. You got Wagyu beef as a burger. No, you got Wagyu beef as a burger. I've, I've never eaten Wagyu beef. You did in Bali. No, you did. I never ate no, the burgers I got in Bali. The pizza. I got the pizza, remember? No, dude. I don't. because I was, was, not, I got the I was being very strict in you Bali. You got the Wagyu beef. <laughs> very strict in Bali, where you Except for the drinking, but I was being very strict as far as what I was eating. You got a Wagyu beef burger. Uh, we're we're going to argue about this, and everybody's going to turn off this podcast. And Everyone already did. Nobody ever <laughs> turned on this podcast. Hey, people have turned on this podcast. In fact, I've seen two people in fucking Virginia who <laughs> downloaded this. I want to know who those two people are. Maybe they can find some way to contact us. I would love to know who in Virginia is listening to this podcast. Because it's none of our friends and family. That's for damn sure. It, it was probably me on my proxy server. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he's using his VPN to like make our stats look better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right. Anyways, we we have we have just gone down the rabbit hole. We we're not, we haven't even drank anything yet, um, and we have gone. Hey. Can we wrap this up? I'm kind of running out of time. John's like, I've got like <laughs> half an hour in, and John's like, all we've done is just talk about bullshit. All right. <laughs> That's all we do. All we do. It's true. Tilting at windmills. That's why it's called quixotic, right? I I am I am literally convinced that the whole reason that we decided to start this podcast was just because we didn't talk to each other enough, and this is our one and a half hours a week. You know, one and a half hours, two hours during the week that we can actually sit down and talk to each other. That's it. Like, it doesn't matter. And, what and the we decided, hell was that? We decided to say, hey, maybe we'll just torture other people into listening to us. Exactly. That was mm-hmm. The cat. That cat sounds like a child. That's what cats do. I That sounded like there was a ghost child in the room that was going to attack you. Well, we all know how much you love cats. Yeah, don't say that out loud, because if the girl hears you ever, she decides to listen to this podcast, she's going to be like, I can't be with And this is a really good one, man. This is a keeper. So she's the most normal female. What's that? But she has cats. She has two cats. Then it will never work. It will work, man. Shut up. You and cats. I can take Claritin for the rest of my life, all right? (laughs) Well, I was also talking about your, like, 
Nah, that's I, I can deal with them. Like they, I can be around them and just. Well, you feel better because they'll laser right in on you. Like, hey, dude, the one already right. did. I, I went over to her house and like that one just like immediately was like leaning in my lap, trying to get as much attention as possible. So they, cats can tell, man. They're like, hey, that dude's allergic and he hates cats. <laughs> We're gonna kill and him. They just, yeah, and they just snuggle right up to you. This like, one's gonna die. I know it. I know it. Do it. Um, but no, it's, it's fine. So this one's a keeper. So, uh, I will, uh, figure out a way to not make her hate me. Uh, I know when I'm not wanted shit. <laughs> Was that a hint of jealousy that I heard? <laughs> Damn right. Wait, <laughs> did that really take you that long? Yeah. Well, it was, it was like. I had to think about the way you said that. Was that is John getting jealous? Dude, I'm gonna passive aggressive the shit out of you. You are right now, like yeah. <laughs> Fucker. Passive aggressive <laughs> asshole. All right. All right. Anyways, um, we. we <laughs> How many times have we tried to restart this? <laughs> It's like, it's just that mower. It's like, no, it's out of gas. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Who framed Roger Rabbit? John, tell me. Finally watched it. Yes, you finally watched it. Tell me what you thought about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I thought it was okay. Um, you. I understand the cult following that movie has because it is completely and utterly unique. Well, and it, it, it was the first movie to blend animation yeah. and live action together, too. There was nothing else like it when it came out. It has that noir feel to it that you like, although a, a, you know, a cut-down comedic version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh so that those parts all worked. I was not too fond of his little dance in comedy routine at the end that got all the weasels to kill themselves. And uh, then the, what, um, I'll kick him in the balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also the whole thing of why did that all of a sudden work to kill cartoons when I thought the dip was the only thing that could kill them. But uh, hmm. and then it's like I said, just the. Just the biggest downer to me was Roger himself. And we, we've been discussing this, but Roger's just goddamn annoying. And he drags the movie down as far as I'm concerned. Like, just, I want every scene he's in to be over sooner. And unfortunately, who, he's in most scenes. Well, he's one of the main characters. Who do you think is more annoying, though? Roger Rabbit or Jar Jar Biggs? Man, I've never thought about it. That'd probably put him about equal. <laughs> but that's probably the closest comparison of a character I can think of. Yeah, right? Like, he's the also day. very similar in character. Now, to be fair, and you were talking about you're supposed to not like him. He's supposed to be annoying. Yeah, because you're, okay. be, you're supposed to get more along with Valiant. Like, Valiant's the character that changes, that has actual you're, change throughout the movie. And you're, you're, you're kind of supposed to feel about him the way he does. Yeah, the way, exactly. The way, Valiant, way, the way Valiant feels about Roger. But the whole point in the movie is Roger Rabbit kind of gradually endears himself to him over time. And he didn't endear himself to me. Like, 
Now, when we talk about he, you're, you're supposed to not like him, he's supposed to be annoying, and I'm like, okay, yes. And I realize sometimes the character, that kind of character is needed in a movie, mm-hmm. but don't succeed too well. When you're trying to make an intentionally annoying character that's annoying for a reason, don't succeed too well. And they most definitely succeeded too well. Now, that all being said, what I will appreciate it about it, not that I physically enjoyed it, but what I appreciated about it was that it was actually the whole concept, the subtext of that movie with the tunes is that they can't change. They can't learn. They can't grow. They're written and drawn a certain way, and they can only behave that way all the time. Yep. So... Roger Rabbit could never take anything seriously. Even when he was about to die, mm-hmm. he couldn't take it seriously because he couldn't. He was he was written in a very person. specific way. Yes, yeah. And how they alluded, it became such a famous throwaway line with Jessica Rabbit. Like, I'm not bad. I was. I'm just drawn that way. Yeah. And how in the like you you find out like as the movie goes on, she's actually a very loyal, loving housewife who was drawn to be a bombshell. Mm-hmm. So. She can't behave any different because she literally can't behave any way different because she was just drawn that way. Yeah. And so he's the same. So I do appreciate that subtext of he can't act any different because he literally can't act anything different. Yeah. Still does not make any scene he's in less grating. Um, so I, I think... Like the unfortunate part for you is like you have a very interesting kind of take on characters. One, also, you're seeing this when you're older versus yeah, when you were. I a never kid. saw it. I remember being a kid and not really falling in love with Roger Rabbit, but like emulating some of his his voice, like his his uh, his his dialogue, like please, Eddie, you know that kind of stuff, right? Um. So I think it was if you had seen it when you were a kid, you might have had a different feel for who he is. I mean, again, I get you, man. He's he is he's a very annoying character. Like it's he's even Baby Herman grates on me too. Um, he's thankfully very, not in the movie very much. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I just I, I I can see your point though, like. Um, that like for you, but I, but to me, that just strikes me is that that character, no matter what they did with it, was always going to like get on your nerves. So, because um, yeah. that's just who you are. I'm not saying anything bad about it, but that's just you see you hear that voice, and I just could just imagine you going, "Oh God, this voice is driving me nuts already." Now, as far as obviously. I think Christopher Lloyd is the judge, and that kind of goes down as one of the most notorious villains of all time. And he was very creepy. He did a very good job of being the villain in it. I didn't really fully grasp his master plan. Um, to get rid of cars, like, or to get rid of the uh, the rail line. Like he his his idea. He's well, just, get rid of and tune uh-huh. He was getting. He was going to destroy Toonland to build the highway. He just wanted to cover the land in highways. He was a tune. Why? What the hell did he care? Power. Why? Why was he a tune that wanted to live with humans instead of his own kind? Power. And it just, these things were not explained. Does it have to be? He's a a sick sadistic tune who was made to that an way ex, to an extent. 
if you think about it, though, if you have if you have a human character, you can understand. Okay, he's he's greedy. He's power hungry. He wants to do these things. That's easy. But for a tune to do that, yeah, I want to know why he gave it. Why why wasn't he trying to destroy a part of human land and expand Tune World? That would have been like a more understandable like villain plot than I'm going to wipe out all of my own kind to live amongst humans. Yes, the whole rich and power thing I understand. Okay. But have you seen you you I didn't get that. You never saw Chinatown, have you? Yeah, I've seen Chinatown. Okay. The whole like he's basically um the the bad guy in Chinatown. If you think about it, like the whole thing was a play for water in Chinatown, right? It's that's all that's so. This is the same. If if you kind of compare him to the bad guy in Chinatown, it's really the same. The same. There was there was an additional layer in it too that didn't make sense to me. I guess what was that? But the whole idea, like like the fact the fact that he was a tune trying to destroy that he was a tune that wanted to murder all other every other tune and live amongst humans. Yes, okay, to be rich and powerful, but. He's also statistic. Like he, it's, he is like, he went around killing humans and tunes in a very, in a similar fashion. Like he might not have used dip to kill like humans, but he, he dropped a piano on Eddie Valiant's brother's head. Right. Like, so he, he's just a killer. That's all it is. Yeah. And what was the whole point of framing Roger Rabbit anyway? Like, um, you know that's that's a really I that is a good question. What is the because what, like why why make him the villain? Maybe just to kind of uh, maybe because because hmm, Roger didn't have the will. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, why make him the killer? Interesting. Why frame him? Interesting. I never would have thought about that. That's a that's a really good. Uh, damn. Well, look at the time. All right, um, <laughs> we're gonna. I'm just go back and like, whoa, like figure that out. Oh, now. Is, let me drop this mic. Yeah, I guess. Bam. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna look this uh, up. I broke my mic. Why frame Roger Rabbit? Yeah, why frame Roger Rabbit? Like, that doesn't. You're right. Like that doesn't make sense. Like, what was the point? I guess to have a fall guy for the murder. And so nobody else was looking into the murder any other way, but that's true. That's true. Huh? Either way, you're right. That makes no sense. So anyway, um, all right. So that's your feelings on Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And I said, it was an entertaining movie. But I, I could never, like, when people just freaking love Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I will never be one of those people. But I, I was definitely, it was interesting. Were you entertained at least? It was, it was, I was entertained. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Are you not oh. entertained? Did you, watch, um, did you watch it with the kids? Yes. What they think? I'm curious. Because that, to me, it's still a timeless movie, right? Like, it's like a, it's, I saw it when I was young. So. They liked it okay. And, with my wife when she was watching, because she was talking about, especially like the judge's death scene, like was nightmare fuel for her growing up. 
And I guess maybe I'm desensitized. It didn't really bother me too much, but um I mean, you see him melting. That's a yeah, little but, I mean it's pretty I'd say even when they reveal that he's I didn't understand that he was a tune for the longest time when I was a kid. I remember that. Like, it wasn't until I watched it later in life that I was like, oh, he's a tune. Then the wheels kind of started clicking a little bit, you know? So um, I think that was, to me, that's kind of that nightmare fuel a little bit is when all of a sudden his eyes become daggers and you're, you know, so... Um, now, you know, it's funny as we're talking about it, the more and more that we talk about it, I'm like, did um, did Robert Zemeckis really just make a movie just to, like, you, like, <laughs> so the girl and I uh, were talking about James Cameron today, which is really funny. She's a huge movie fan, which is really awesome. And um, so we were talking about James Cameron today. And she showed me the South Park episode about James Cameron and, and how he's trying to find the bar that's been lowered under the ocean and raise it. Um, you know, kind of like raise the bar. It's the joke of like the bar has been lowered so deep that he's got to raise the bar. Yes. Um, okay. Anyways. And we got down the, the talk of like what happened. Cause you know, as we talked about what happened between true lies and Titanic for James Cameron to go completely off the rails and make Titanic and then yeah. avatar later. Um, and she's like, I never had any She for me. It was like, again, this, these are like those moments where I'm like, this woman is awesome. But she's like, I have had no interest in ever seeing avatar. And I was like, Oh, you're wonderful. She never did see it. She never saw it. She has no interest in it. She's like, it just seems right. like a stupid movie. And this is why I crushed art on this saying. woman. Right. Like, Moments like that where I'm going to hear that and I'm like, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. <laughs> um, anyways, so. Don't worry. I'll, I'll console you when it all goes off the rails later. Fucking hell, John. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so anyways, though, we were talking in regards to like Avatar and, and and I told her, like, to me, Avatar was just made because James Cameron could. Like, he just had the budget, and he wanted to make a 3D film. That was it. He, and do you feel, in some ways, that maybe Zemeckis was doing the same thing? Like, he just had the budget and the ability to do this cool, unique thing and make a name for himself? He wanted to do... He wanted to... Yeah. I mean, and he was already, you know pretty hot from the Back to the Future series because they were doing really well at the time. And I think, yeah, he wanted to do something a little revolutionary. Yeah. That would kind of go down in infamy and everyone would know it. It was a collaboration with Disney, obviously. Yeah. So, but then it's hard to say that because it actually, you know, he's no, I had mixed feelings about the movie. It clearly had heart yeah. and talent and it was well written and it had a good story. And none of those things can be said about Avatar. We're put together this really beautiful special effects extravaganza. And it's like, oh, wait, there needs to be a plot. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. Yeah. And, and I don't know why Michael Bay never had that problem. But What do you mean? Uh, like getting... 
It was a joke. Uh, oh. Never mind. The joke fell flat. It really that did not go anywhere. So, so what's also yeah. interesting, like he's always done kind of interesting movies. Like if you think about, he was the first to kind of, so Forrest Gump was like the first time where he tried to blend old footage with new footage. Like here's Forrest Gump getting a medal from president Kennedy. And he used footage of Kennedy, yeah. like med- giving people medals. Um, yeah. You know, so you think about it, like he really has done a lot on trying to do. And it didn't, it didn't involve like special effects per se, but he, or I think it did, but to a lesser extent. Yeah. But then he did the same thing with contact and president Clinton. Yeah. At the time. That's right. And I think how he actually used a real Bill Clinton speech in that movie. And it was, it was vague enough that it could sound, it, it didn't sound out of place at all. Exactly. Uh, so he's been known to push the boundaries a little bit. Um, it's also important mm-hmm. to know that uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came before Back to the Future Two. So I thought it was right after, before three. Yeah, it was. It was before two. So okay. Um, also, he did Death Becomes Her. Did you ever see that one? Once, and a mutual friend of ours growing up absolutely loved that movie. So when I saw it, I saw it with him, and it did not. Jay, see, grab me, ye. JS. JS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Guy, guy with the same initials as me. I love that movie, so, dude. That movie was good to me. And I, it just didn't grab me. I don't, maybe it's another movie I need to see again. But I was just, I didn't really. It's. It, I'm not gonna say it's not weird. I mean, Goldie Hawn, um, Bruce Willis, and uh, who was I? Can never remember her name. Mel Street, like. You can't. It was weird. I'm not gonna say it was the most normal film. Definitely weird. It was definitely weird. Yeah. I don't know. I just he man, he loved that movie, and I was like, <laughs> sometimes there's those movies that just grab us, right? Like that's just like each person. Yeah, and and the movies. Take, uh, my all-time favorite movies. Heather doesn't like it all, so. What's that? It just is. Well, all of them. Like, like I said, if you twisted my arm and forced me to pick a favorite movie, it'd be Contact. Yeah, I know that. My wife doesn't like Contact. If I pick a favorite comedy, it's The Big Lebowski. She doesn't like The Big Lebowski. I freaking love Insomnia with Al Pacino and Robin Williams. She doesn't like that movie. Um, Yeah. So these are all minority report. Oh, granted, a big part of that is the fact she cannot stand Tom Cruise. But Tom Cruise, or but Minority Report, one of my favorite movies, she doesn't like. See, I can't stand Tom Cruise either, but I can I can still hold Minority Report. Then I can't I don't like Steven Spielberg all that much either, but I can still look at that movie and be like, that was a damn well done movie. I don't. I don't really. I mean, I appreciate Jaws and what Jaws was, yeah. and, and Indiana Jones and to electric. Indiana Jones, to a lesser extent, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm-hmm. um, and Schindler's List. What is what it was, and mm-hmm. I think that was kind of an important movie to make. So it's it's not the movie I really want to watch all the time, but I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's still no, not a big uh, Spielberg fan. I did like Ready Player One, and even reading the book, I liked Ready Player One. But yeah, I rewatched that stupid movie, and it's still like it just like it, it was like. Let me take everything that was good about the book and just 
do away with it. And so the book, even the book, after I took a second look at it, the book was just kind of like a nod to pop cult, like pop culture. It was a one-off, yeah. like it yeah. wasn't really well-written. It was fun. It was not well-written. He's not a good author. He wrote a good story. Yeah. He wrote an entertaining story. Uh, I did enjoy reading Ready Player One, but it was just not well-written. And I was I was done with it by the end. Mm-hmm. And it, but even I didn't care for uh, some of the – when he'd go off in these weird diatribes. Yeah. I do think the movie impro- improved IROC. I, yeah, I remember you talk, always talking about that. Like, yeah, that's that was one thing about the movie. It was actually better than the book. But uh, yeah, so it just. But anyway, going back to what we were discussing. So yeah, I can appreciate the fact that it's really hard to find somebody that likes the same movies I do. Like my favorite movies, I'm the only one that likes them. So that's not true. I love the Big Lebowski. I like uh, content in my immediate. And I do know that The Big Lebowski is, you either love that movie or hate that movie. There is, like, no middle ground on that movie whatsoever. That is true. And I find that interesting. We we were talking about with Roger Rabbit how he's supposed to be annoying. And I bring, like, I show you those Don Mazzetti videos, and you're like, it gets my nerves. He's annoying. I'm like, that's how he's supposed supposed to to be. He's a character of a muscle head. Yeah, he's a meathead. He's but a bro at a gym. Yeah, but he's he makes so many jokes about that. And now the thing is, he's making fun of that by being a parody of. Yeah. Um. So to me, it's actually kind of self-deprecating, even though I do not think he's a, a very humble person at all. But I, I appreciate the comedy, and in one, he's very well done. Um. But th- then I noticed that with my wife, she doesn't like. The main reason she told me she didn't like Insomnia when I asked her is she didn't like Al Pacino's character. I'm like, you're you're not supposed to. Yeah. You're you're well, maybe not not supposed to, but he has some very serious skeletons in his closet, and he's dealing with it. Um, well, he's not dealing with it. That's the point it, of the movie. He's not, <laughs> okay, he's not. He, I was like, that's technically the point okay. of the movie is he's not dealing with it. <laughs> He's trying to cope with it, yeah. and it spirals out of control, and it costs him his life in the end. But uh, that's you know that's the point. You know, he's not supposed to be a good guy or a good guy, but a, f- a flawed good guy. He is a flawed hero. Um, <laughs> Duke Leto Atreides was so, a flawed hero. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, so so it's, it is interesting. But then I turn around and say that about Roger Rabbit. Uh, but you know, it's just he he straight up he chews up the screen when he's on it, and it irritates the hell out of him. Yeah. Well, and it's it's like the, this is a good like because because I brought up the whole Jar Jar. Well, who do you find more annoying, Jar Jar Binks or Roger Rabbit? Right. And they're both now Disney characters in their own right. Uh, Jar Jar just kind of made took the long way to to become a Disney character in some ways, um, but. Um, when, when you think about how each character was written, we justify Roger Rabbit being annoying because that's the way he was written to be. Like the person who wrote, mm-hmm. who framed Roger Rabbit was like, I'm going to make this character pretty annoying. So that way we don't identify with him. Like we want to identify with Eddie Valiant and we want to understand who Eddie, which by the way, 
for a fucking hero's name, Eddie Valiant is actually a really cool hero name in any, like you, <laughs> like Eddie Valiant. Come on. Like that's to me, when you name a character just right, it's just brilliant writing. You know, it's, it's, it's just brilliant writing right there. Um, so I, I give writing like five, five stars on that alone. Anyways, um, Jar Jar Binks wasn't written to be an annoying character. He was written to be a character that the next like Chewy, like the next character that we would love and, and want to buy the action figures of and that our kids would just exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, that, I think that was a major flaw in Phantom Menace was that they're just catered to kids too much. And I was, cause they want to sell fucking toys. Yeah. That's exactly. And it, see, that's the weird. That's the weird neighborhood Star Wars finds itself in because it is, in one way, it is tailor made for children because it's not to be taken seriously. It's got lasers and sword, laser sword fights, and yes, I know they're lightsabers. I'm just going to, and space battles and all this stuff. So, and then obviously, it's just begging to have toys made of it. Yeah, so obviously. That's that's it is toys technically made, for made that popular. If you think about it, yeah. So it is, it is tailor made for kids in this way. On the other side of it, it, del- it delves into some pretty good themes. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the end of Return of the Jedi has more emotional weight than that movie has any right to have. But there it is. And then on top of that, because it's not like Saving Private Ryan per se, but it is. They are war movies. There's a lot of death in them, and it's pretty fucking dark sometimes. Yeah. And so at the same time, you have kids seeing this. And I, I, what I always thought about it was so weird to me in those movies with the fighter pilots, like, every time one dies, it's like, the movie has this, like, sadistic note of, like, let's give you one second to meet this pilot as they die. And it's like, it doesn't do it with the yeah. TIE Fighters because they're all just clones or whatever. But every time an X-Wing gets blown up, it's like, we're going to go into the cockpit so you can meet this character and then kablooey. And it just... Why would you want it any other way? <laughs> but it's just like, don't do not do this to me, man. Like, <laughs> Even Abrams did that. And, I was, and it's because it's their death scene. It's always like, hey... They're going to die in space, and they're so obviously knowing their ship's going to blow up in space, they're going to die. That one second, they're going to be in panic, and they're going to be like, ah, and like, let Who's me the, show you that. There's always there's the fat guy in the very in a new hope too. Like he's the bearded fat yeah, guy. Portions. Yeah, it was his that name what? was <laughs> <laughs> So like, right then and there. Um, but Abrams even did the same thing, like went with uh, with uh, Force Awakens. Like he would do the 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 quick cut into the cockpit, and then the guy dies, and then the cut, you know, then the cut out of like watching the ship explode. So, yeah. Well, yeah, but it's just so like that's not a very kid movie thing to do. No. So, so so Star Wars occupies this these two very weird, kind of contradictory spaces. Yes, and. So, but yeah, going Phantom Menace was just that he really marketed that towards children. Oh yeah, which was a mistake because 
it was children that loved his old movies that were now grown up. Yeah. Yes, I get the whole idea of introducing your characters to a new generation, but yeah. But the parents would have like people like us who had who were becoming parents at that point in time, or you know, or the parents who had grown up watching Star Wars. They would have introduced kids to these characters. I don't, my parents introduced me to Star Wars when I was a young kid. You know, like when I was, I remember walking around with some of the toys. Um, you know, when mm-hmm. I was little, I was like five or six. Empire Strikes Back had just come out. I had no clue what it was, but they introduced me to Star Wars. Right? And so it would have done but, the same thing. But the, the old Star Wars were kids' movies in the sense because of lasers and spaceships yeah. and weird little aliens and all that stuff. And those are the things that they weren't kids' movies, but they had this kid edge to them. Yeah. Phantom Menace is marketed, is, as, became a kids' movie yeah. because of Jar Jar Binks and young Anakin. Yes. Both very annoying characters. And both not written to be annoying characters at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah that's. To bring this back young around, Anakin. <laughs> young and not written to be young. young Anakin Skywalker should have been dark, should have been brooding, should have been tortured. You know, like I mean, mentally tortured, yeah, yeah. like just a very hollow soul. Yes, who had been through some stuff, and he wasn't like you have. Just wanted you have a man who is supposed to be the fist of the galaxy. Essentially he's, he's going to be the right hand of, of a lack of a better than Nazi empire, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's going to spread fear amongst the galaxy, but here he is a 10 year old naive boy who just wants to race pod racers. Right. Like, and, and you're like, yeah. how does this become? And so then they introduce the love interest. Fine. You introduce the love interest and that's how it all happens. But you're very right. Like at some level, he should have been damaged, and that's the tragedy that didn't happen. Like at at the end of the day, the tragedy is not that Anakin was was given the power to become Darth Vader, but more of that he was that nobody saw the fact that he was going to be Darth Vader. Everybody missed the warnings, and the warnings being, oh, he's like. There's nothing sweet and innocent about them. like the Phantom Menace should have been a horror movie. Like mm-hmm. he should have been off in the corner killing Jar Jar Binks, you know. Yes. <laughs> so I guess, but now, so going back now, so Jar Jar Binks, Robert, Roger Rabbit. I would say now having this discussion, Jar Jar Binks, because as you said, he was not supposed to be annoying. Right, Roger Rabbit was created with the purpose of being annoying. Yeah. Charger Binks was not. Yep. Turn turn you turn you the hell off of Roger Rabbit. You know, they wanted they didn't want you to like Roger. That's it. At the very beginning, they wanted you to grow into liking him. Yeah. And that was it. Well, yeah, but when but when you make it to the point where well fuck frame the hell out of this guy. Fuck him. <laughs> like when when you're so annoying that I hope you go. <laughs> When, when you're so annoying that I hope you're executed for a crime you didn't commit. <laughs> I want you to land in the dip, you stupid rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you should think about that a little bit. That's what, uh, people freaking love the, the girl with the dragon tattoo series. Yeah. I never um, saw it. So I don't, I, I have, well, I never saw them either. Um, I seem to have this nasty habit of like, 
starting trilogies and quitting them halfway through. Because I did it with the Lord of the Rings. I literally made it halfway through Two Towers and I quit. Really? Um, and there was another book series I did it with. And then I did do it with the Dragon Tattoo series. And that was before the other ones came out. Because I know the original author died or whatever. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, like it's gone on for longer than three books now. Like there's more books out. Yeah. They've, they've written, but he didn't write them. Like they've, he's, he's been dead a long time. Take the Bourne series. So the Bourne series is still going on, even though the writer's dead. So, okay. So I don't know exactly how many they made or whatever or in really how I don't remember why I became interested in them and I think at the time the Swedish like trilogy films had come out and then they were making the American uh, one just dragon with like Daniel Craig now, I will say yeah with Daniel Craig now I will say the first one the dra- the girl with the dragon tattoo that one's not bad I, I don't have any desire to reread it but it wasn't bad with the second one, like I said I quit halfway through it. I could not finish it. So the girl played with fire, I think. Oh, yeah. no and the girl kicked the hornet's nest. Girl who kicked the hornet's nest is the last one. I couldn't I got halfway through Girl Played with Fire and I couldn't finish. The villains in that book are murdering, kidnapping child sex traffickers. Wow. So when those are your villains and you as the author make me kind of hope they win, you have really shitty protagonists. Lisbeth Salander is a fucking horrible person, and I can hate a fictional person that much. Why is she a horrible person? And then Blockvist, or whatever, how you pronounce his name, is not a whole lot better. I fucking hate both of his protagonists with a fiery passion. Why is she a horrible person, though? Like, what makes her horrible? uh, Um... How should I put this? Okay, so it's it's established very early on that she has like Asperger's, okay, or whatever. And of course, she has to be this like super master hacker because that's one of the. It's not very well told, so she has to be this like unstoppable hacker because of course she is or whatever. Uh-huh. Okay, people can do crazy things with computers. I understand, but like it was just like, dude, shut the fuck up. So like, um, so she had Asperger's. She was heavily damaged and like you know. She didn't think anything about jumping to bed with people and all that. Okay, fine. If so, that being said, you go to a bar, you hook up with her the next day, or hook up with her that night, and go home with her, and you know, have a wild night with her. Blah 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 blah. You wake up before her, and you get up and you go to her kitchen, and you're just like, hey, you know what? But because that makes a big deal about how much coffee she drinks too uh-huh. in the books. Like coffee all the time. So like, yeah, I think I'm sure she would mind. I, you know, brewed some coffee. I'm sure she'd have it in the morning anyway. So because, and because it's not your house, this is all hypothetical, by the way. I'm just trying to describe to you the type of character she is. So if you like, okay, so like, where are her coffee mugs and where does she keep the beans and all this stuff? And you're going through her kitchen that way. And innocently enough, like you just in your mind, you're trying to be nice, trying to make coffee because you woke up first. And she wakes up and sees you going through her kitchen cabinets. She will grab a corkscrew and go for your eyeball. Okay. All that being said, on the complete other side of that, because she is a master hacker, blah, 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 blah. She has no qualms whatsoever about digging into the deepest, darkest secrets of your life and using him for whatever purposes that she will. And 
So when she has no qualms about doing anything to other people, but she does not want anything done to her. Interesting. And okay. And then Blumkiss is just a fucking hopeless man whore, and is it is, and I've become less, even less tolerant tolerant of them as I've gotten older, but it is takes some very specific things to make a womanizing character likable, at least to me. And like about the couple of womanizing like characters that I can like right off the top, like obviously James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the actor's name, but the, one of the two guys from uh, Strike Back, okay. at least the early seasons of Strike Back. I never watched anything past the first two seasons of Strike Back, so I don't know anything about it. But the, like, one of the two guys in that, he's a pretty big womanizer, but because of everything else about him, he's a very likable character. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. I overlook it. And it's just, it's a Cinemax show. It's just their excuse to put some tits in a show every episode. That's really all it is. So, he's always hooking up with some different shit. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of womanizing characters that are likable. And he just is. And it's, that's on top of it is not only is he a notorious womanizer, but I don't even see why women sleep with him. And yeah. So, yeah. So that's all. I guess maybe you have to be Swedish to appreciate it. I don't know. <laughs> the, protagonists, the, the two protagonists in the Dragon Tattoo series are very unlikable people. Okay. Interesting. I why did we start talking? Oh, because we were talking about. Um, are talking about when when characters, or whether or not they're intentionally or unintentionally unlike. Yes, exactly. Um, I've never had any reason to ever watch those. Like, I just there's nothing that's ever been like this. Seems like an interesting movie or never, story or anything. So. And I never never did either. I never watched them, but I like I said, I read the first book and read half the second book. So I was reading the books, not seeing the movie. And still no redeeming quality. Um, are they both in the second yeah, book? Which, yeah, they're, they're, they're both in the second. And I assume the third book. Well, obviously she is. And I think, yeah, he stays with them. And what's so weird is it's such a change because there's really nothing. Like the, the traits are, I guess you could say, hinted at. But there's really nothing wrong with them in the first book. It's all in the second book where it's just like, you know what? I hate you. Um, <laughs> I hate you. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So we covered a lot of ground in just that one uh, <laughs> mic drop. Good night, everyone. Um, no. Uh, yep. So let's, let's. Oscar was good. Oscar. Let's. Now mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, I think you like Oscar more than I do. Now, I I enjoy Oscar. I think it's a great movie, uh, but I think I, I think you enjoyed it more than Oscar, I did. Uh, Oscar was great. Yeah. Like Oscar was great. Stallone. I, I find that- I still can't buy Stallone in that role. Like one hundred percent. Like it's just really? he. I don't think so. like Stallone is not that comedic of a genius. So it was interesting to see him in it, uh, but, but he I wasn't think he could play the part. I don't know. I don't know. I think he played the part. Just I think he handed up too much. This is me. Like, if I think about comedy in Stallone, Expendables is his comedy, not Oscar. <laughs> and Expendables was a funny <laughs> movie. Like, what about, 
What about stop or my mom will shoot? Even that was horrible, dude. And that was I liked that movie when I was when I like, <laughs> but that even that was bad. Dude. Like Stallone and comedy just don't mix. They just they're not. Uh, Fair enough, but I liked Oscar, and I thought it, he did a good job with Oscar. That's good. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, liked that movie. I liked it because it was a very clever movie. Because that type of movie has to be written and performed and edited very tightly for it to work. Yes. And that movie absolutely was. That movie was very cleverly written, very cleverly performed, and very cleverly produced. Well, I think I think uh, you, it helped that it was a uh, um, a John Landis movie. So, but you said that you said it's another typical Landis movie, and I looked up all his other movies. It's like Blues Brothers. All, lot, I've seen a lot of, and I've seen a lot of them. I didn't know who it was at the time when I oh, seen okay. the Blues Brothers. I'm like, okay, but the Blues Brothers and Oscar are nothing alike. Um, but that the comedy itself, like he just has like Landis understands comedic timing. So I think it's easy for him to, to be able to write, edit all that, all of that, right. To just do it correctly. Um, it's the same thing as like, if you had, um, uh, like Frank Oz, Frank Oz, if you've seen any Frank Oz movie, he just has this kind of sense of like comedic timing. So you can kind of, you'll get the joke. Um, nothing's really left out. And it's not, I'm not saying Frank Oz is like the best filmmaker in the world or anything, but like, if you watch a Frank Oz comedy, you kind of get, he understands it. Landis is the same way. So I'm not surprised that it did as well as it did because it is a John Landis film at the end of the day. Um, Landis, it's just something that Landis can, can do. Um, it's, it's even let, let's take an American werewolf in Paris, right? Uh, or sorry, an American Werewolf in London because he didn't do Paris. Uh, American Werewolf in London. If you think about that movie, there is, that movie is actually kind of funny. Yeah, it's a horror film, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> okay, I never saw it. So. Oh, you never saw you never saw it. Nope. Wow. N- never saw American Werewolf in Paris either. Uh, that one you're not missing much. That's it's it's literally a rehash of American Werewolf in London. Honestly, is all it is. So, um, you know, Landis did Michael Jackson Thriller, right? Yeah, and he, he did a couple. Well, I did there when I looked him up. Yeah, he did a couple other Michael Jackson things too. So, um, he directed Beverly Hills Cop Three, which is actually the worst Beverly Hills Cop out of the whole series. Never saw any of them. Oh, okay. Yep. Missed those. Uh, we could go on and on about all these movies I've never seen. It's true. It's true. If, if I cared more, like, you just pick a different movie for me to watch. Okay. Well, I mean, let, let's just let's, let's throw it out here this way. Landis' first three films, the Kentucky Fried movie. What was that? That was nothing but, like, weird comedy I'm going to guess you've never seen that and that's fine. It was like a, almost like a skit show of movies, like or a skit show uh, in, in um, you know how when they did these anthology movies where they had like different like pieces that made up the movie um, kind of like, I think the movie was called like movie 21 or something kind of like that in, in that vein. Um, so it was like a bunch of like just small skits put together to make a larger film. Uh, so that, that was like his first movie. Then he goes to do animal house Right, um, he did animal. He directed House. Animal House. So then again, you've got this 
weird schlocky. And then he does Blues Brothers. And then right after Blues Brothers, he's doing an American Werewolf in London. So if you think about it, like he's, this is his, this is his gig. This is what he knows. Did you see, you've seen Three Amigos, right? Okay. Yes. He did that. He's, you saw Spies Like Us, right? No, you didn't see Spies Like Us. I don't uh, think I saw all the way through. I've definitely, I've definitely seen parts okay. of it. Dan Aykroyd. I don't think I saw that. All Dan time. Aykroyd, Chevy Chase. And Chevy yeah, Chase. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not surprised what Oscar was. Like, when I watch it, Stallone to me didn't make the movie. Landis understood how to get it right. The this is a good example of like okay. where the director was able to work around an actor. Fair enough. So I still that it was a master of timing. I'll put it that way. Because the timing in that movie is perfect. yes, you can't you can't get that without that timing. So I do I think his henchmen are, are who stole the movie in my opinion. That's just you know, um, I don't know. <laughs> I you you got mad at me when I I think my my favorite my favorite part in the whole thing was the Finucci brothers. Yeah, the Taylor. Taylors. I that, they were my favorite part. Of the Especially after he told what's his name that they were hitmen. Yes, yeah. And as he's talking to them afterwards, and that like because that's just that perfect example of because that movie really is a comedy of errors. Uh-huh. But it is it is very easy for a comedy of errors to get to be too much. Oh yeah. Like I don't really care for the National Lampoon's movies. Yeah, they're just they're they're a comedy of errors, and they just kind of get annoying. <laughs> I did appreciate Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, that that is just comedy bears all the way. Like that's just yeah, yeah. But that one was well done. So the fact that Oscar is a comedy of errors, but it's perfectly timed and well done, and it creates those great moments of miscommunication, like him talking to the two tailors, thinking yes. they're hitmen, and how that conversation. Did you ever see? It's perfectly well. Like, it's just we consider it an art. It's a family business. Someday, maybe we'll do you. Like <laughs> the, uh, the how they showed the clipping of the guy dead in at the restaurant, and he's like, he's like, we did that, and it's just it fits. So. <laughs> I think it, I think I called you too because I, I thought that the the uh, Luigi uh, from Cars, the uh, the uh, like that's when it hit me that the guy that the tire shop, they, they were, were tailors. The tailors I thought originally that that's what they were trying to do is like point to those two being the tailors from Oscar. And then that, but it hit me like, no, but at the same time, like Pixar was just making the quintessential Italian tailor joke is all, all it was. You, you that might've been the inspiration. Could though. be. Cause car cars is just very much like a kid's version of doc. Hollywood. Yeah. Holy but, uh, shit. You just blew my mind. You didn't know that? You just blew my fucking mind on that. No. <laughs> How did you never realize I... that? <laughs> I think I'm a fucking genius when I'm like, Lion King is just Hamlet. Dude. <laughs> Lion King is very obviously But Hamlet. you blew my fucking mind on the fact that all they did... I was remake Doc Hollywood as a kid's film. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mic drop nights, man. <laughs> but but I, you might be onto something. I, I actually now because I'd forgotten you told me that before I watched Oscar, and now that you're reminding me of that, yeah, I could see how Luigi and Guido in Cars are the two tailors from, from Oscar. Oscar. I can see that. I, and, and that that might be stretching. Like honestly, at the end of the day, because the stereotypical tailor you know, has always been the Italian tailor, that sort of thing. And so it just like, I, it could be stretching it. Like they could just be pointing to a stereotype of the tailor being Italian. Um, but who knows? Like maybe somebody from Pixar will like listen to this podcast and be like, no, that was, that was it. Like we just, we, we liked those two characters. Um, and one of them, who's the guy from the Henry Shear from the Simpsons. Right. So he was one of them. Um, See, I'm struggling to stay away. Yeah, I can see that. You're going to have to deal with it. I don't care. <laughs> um, Two cocktails. I know. I, dude, we're, we're, we're old, man. Two cocktails and a long... I, I drink I drink one, and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. So, And I know you gave me shit about this, but Don Amici, I don't care, man. Anything that he's in, he just lights up the screen. Um, he's always been one of my... Okay. I just... When you... you Because you called him out for being an Oscar, and he didn't do a bad job, but he just hid... Almost no screen time. He didn't. I don't think he had any of the jokes of the movie because he was just the priest who went, he's at the end performing the wedding, and then he's he had a, one he part. had a few when they were talking about who's who's Antony, and then you know they were like who's the daughter that sort of thing like who's getting married. So there was, but he's more. It's kind of because that was a kind of a play on who's on first. Yeah, he was he was basically the straight man of that joke. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, um. All right. Since you're getting tired, we'll, we'll 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 get close to wrapping this up. Well, we got to move on. To I know Videodrome. that's what I mean. We're go- we're gonna hit video drum. I'm I'm worried that Cronenberg is gonna take a little bit of time. I'm not sure certain about this. Long live the new flesh. Yeah, Jesus, no kidding, dude. Um, so here's my here's my thing. It's it was an interest. It was hard to watch. It was hard to watch, and not Very. that it was boring, but that. It wasn't even shock. Like I've seen more shocking things in Saw than I've seen in Videodrome. And mind you, Videodrome at the time probably pushed a lot of boundaries for how shocking. Like it very, it very much did. Like you had the whole scene at the end where he shoots uh, one of the main villains, and the guy like breaks apart into a million. Like he's breaking apart on stage, right? Um, So. There was nothing in there like like we talked to like we just we, we said earlier the whole desensitized we've been desensitized right to to this um, so there was but he also because he he showed a lot and like I said at the time it was probably very shocking but at least by today's standards there's a lot more implied which I think is way more effective than just out and out yes, showing it yes. um, I I actually agree like the the idea of implying. Um, anything like this, I'll say this time and time again, but a, a woman in lingerie is damn more sexy than a woman in like anything, like just a straight naked chick, right? Like the end of the day, like the implications are vastly different. Um, the air of mystery, right? It's the same thing of like the imp- mm-hmm. implying that violence is taking place is, or implying evil in some way, shape or form is actually more, uh, damaging to our psyche than actually than seeing it on the screen uh, played out because because what happens in our mind is far gonna is it's always, always it's gonna far outweigh what we're seeing no matter what 
And that's that's and that's the mark of a good exactly. filmmaker, a good a good visual story. Oh yeah. It's why Blair Witch was such a under- great film in that regards is because it used your mind against you. You're like, what the hell's going on? You never saw death on screen, but suddenly there's teeth laying there or the guy facing the wall and then bam, the camera falls, right? Like you know, you never see anything. So yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people nowadays would disagree with you on it being a I, great I, film. I don't mean that it's but. a great film in that like it stands the test of time, but I mean the way that it used your mind against you. It, it, it carried a lot of, it was very effective when it yes. first came out. Um, because and it well, it's the same with music. How the, the the notes you don't play are every bit as important as the notes you exactly. do. Exactly. And and uh, so I I think when the, he can imply things is just as effective because in many like video drum covered many of the main same topics that eight millimeter did. But granted, eight millimeter could really show anything that was going on with it too. And I I actually really really enjoy eight millimeter. I think that's a good movie. Yeah. I but, think uh, seven was better, honestly. But hey, whatever. I think seven is a better movie. It's more enjoyable. Um, again, not necessarily kind of a movie you watch to enjoy, <laughs> but a movie you watch because it's very compelling. One does not uh, simply so watch do, yes, video drum to enjoy. <laughs> enjoy Jimmy's video drum. It was a very good movie, by the way. One that should just be the, you know. Yeah. But then all that, and then that's only like the first layer, or maybe actually probably the second and third layer of video drum, and then there's five more layers to go. Well, and it's that, and then all that stuff's not even what is what it doesn't. That's what's weird is it doesn't even start as a horror film. It starts as like kind of a mystery uh, or a snuff film. Like you're kind of like you kind of get drawn into this idea. Oh, it's just it's just a snuff film that that they're trying to figure out, and all of a sudden it like really gets crazy when the hallucinations yeah. start and then you're like, okay, what it becomes more science fiction. And then it really gets into the air of horror. Uh, when, when the hallucinations become real life and that's when you're like, okay, what is, what is actually happening? So um, it was almost, it's another movie that took a really long time to set up. Like, I think it was 45 minutes before you finally kind of got the gist of what was happening. Before you're like... It was very very much a slow burn. Very slow burn. And a quick fall. (laughs) Like, I remember the twist came even before the end of the movie. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I see what's happening. That's This is the twist right here. Yeah. And it's and it, yeah, and it's, it happens quickly when it happens, but it did take a lot of setup. Yeah. But uh, um, it was like watching like that movie was setting up the dominoes only because obviously setting them up takes a lot longer than knocking them down. But then halfway, three quarters of the way through the movie, the dominoes are set up, and it's like, and that's the movie. Um, it's uh, it's interesting to me the James Wood character, like there was no, the choice to kill him at the end or for him to die at least. Um, and they never showed it. You just have to assume like the death was off, off screen. So you have to assume that he, that he did die in that way. Um, but it was, that was to me, that was an interesting kind of choice. I still actually am trying to think is maybe 
what was in his mind versus what was real life. And there's certain actions that happen. So for example, when he kills the the business partners, right? The gun is not attached to his hands. It's not a part of his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, when he goes to um, kill the guy on stage, the, the head guy, I can't remember what his name is. The gun is attached to his hand, right? But then as he leaves and he puts his hand back in his pocket, he leaves the whole thing. And later on, when he's at the boat, the gun is no longer attached to his hand. Like it's, 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 Mm -hmm. it's even when he goes to shoot himself in the head, the gun isn't attached the same way. Like it's not part of his flesh. So it's like, it, it almost begs itself. Is he, did he just go like start hallucinating, go around the bend enough that he started killing these people thinking he was doing good. And then at the end, recognize that he had to die as well. Perhaps. What is the new flesh? That's a good question, right? Like, wasn't wasn't the point of the new flesh? Because uh, wasn't the the point of that whole idea the the father who started the whole video drone thing or whatever the uh, the experiment, so to speak, wasn't wasn't his whole thing about like he envisioned a world where every, like everybody just sat around watching TV? Basically, so I mean, wouldn't that be the new flesh? Because that—that's who kind of put that idea in his head. So, it, it's an interesting take on media in general and how we how we interpret media, watch watch media, like how we how we how we do our things. To me, that that's kind of I was I was kind of getting a bit of a sense of that, and it, it I think in almost a lot of ways it it was. Uh, self-fulfilling prophecy for lack of a better term. Like when you watch it, you're just kind of like Cronenberg kind of understood uh, directions that we were going in with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a movie. I highly recommend it because I'm just happy. I've seen a movie that you hadn't released until that recently, but uh, it it's again, it's like you said, I don't know if I'm enjoying this. I'm like, I don't know if it's a movie you're supposed to enjoy, <laughs> but it is definitely compelling. But it, it, it didn't even make me feel uncomfortable. That's the problem. Like I just, I just was like, if, if I wasn't watching this for you, I would have turned it off. Not because really? I was uncomfortable. I just didn't like it. Like I, I didn't, I didn't find it enjoyable in any aspect. I found there there was some sense of uncomfortable, like the body whore, right? But I can get over that. Whatever. That's whatever. That's that's nothing. Um, but I just I just I couldn't find any aspect of it really worthy to sit there and watch all the way through. The only thing that forced me to watch it all the way through was that, that you were like, you if I'm gonna watch you frame Roger Rabbit, you're gonna watch Videodrome. So I was like, all right, fair enough. Well, it was the only movie. It was the only movie well, I had. it's fair, but you, I guess I'm just saying like we traded films. And so I wanted to make sure that I gave your film just to, just as you were giving my film just to honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, could I watch it again? I don't think so. Would you watch it again? 
the yeah. room? With you drinking. <laughs> is this is this a maybe some candles in the dark? <laughs> John, are you coming on to me? You keep you keep it's about time you figure. You out. keep trying to get us to marry each other. You're like, John, I'm gonna marry you. John, it's not gonna happen. Well, it's not gonna happen anymore because I've figured stuff out. Because <laughs> you're back with your wife, so suddenly everything's heterosexual now, heteronormal. I had no interest in a homosexual relationship. <laughs> I just wanted to be your husband. <laughs> it wasn't like I was going to touch it. We, were, we weren't going to sleep in the same bed or anything like that. Oh, John, John, John. I love you like a brother, sir. I love you like a brother. <laughs> See? But that's. I wouldn't even care if you had a girlfriend. <laughs> So it'd be an open relationship. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't be romantically involved. It would have been a financial partnership. But that's not a marriage. <laughs> I'm glad that I you... I can't think like, of anybody... Does your wife know that I, that's I the way you look at it? Like, it's a financial partnership, not really, like, a loving partnership? Is it... No, I'm married to her for love. That wasn't you. It's just with you, it's like I can't imagine anybody I'd rather be married to. Like, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> That's the sweetest, most endearing thing somebody's ever said to me. Thank you. And the thing, it's from the guy that's been giving you shit for like twenty five years. Like, so in this Abbott and Costello <laughs> relationship, this is Bud Abbott right there. Yeah. Exactly, that, that is Bud Abbott. Or. You know, James Helen Bob, hetero life mate. Like True. Yes. Uh John, I love you to death. I love you to death. <laughs> but if I visit you in South Carolina, I probably will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like if we were married Well, I'm not married. We wouldn't have you're not married. I all I'm doing is if, I said I said, if you and me were married to each other, we wouldn't have anything to worry about. How is that possible? Because we'd just be bros. (laughs) Bros with no hoes. All right. Fair enough. enough. Bros with no (laughs) hoes. I didn't say you couldn't have hoes. I'm just saying, like. Is there anybody you can trust more than me? Not right now. Not at this point in my life. I hope to find a woman that anybody I can trust, I can trust more, than more than you at some point. Like I, <laughs> more than is there anybody? Is there anybody I no, can trust more than you? Well, I hope you trust your wife more than me. Exactly. Okay. I, I do. Like I said, I married her for love. It would just be like it would be the most stable True. friendship ever. Right. Fair enough. It would be the most stable friendship ever. Yes. See? See, you're the one I tried to go be with it. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, John. What? <laughs> At least I didn't piss you off to like the tonight that you like had to like step away from the computer for a little bit of time. So 
which I think is still in the, the I didn't cut that out of yeah. the episode. So that's still there. Like you, <laughs> me going, really? It's, it's anyway, right? like at the end of the day, every solid friendship relationship has drama. The question is, is can you still wake up in the morning and still love each other? And you think you you declined my proposal. <laughs> All right, John. Here's the deal. I'll give you ten years. Ten years. If I am still unmarried in ten years and you get divorced in ten years, you're on. Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get married, we'll at least. <laughs> <laughs> in 10 years I might actually marry you for your money though so I, don't, I probably won't be rich by that point I, I do I do tend to spend money like a drunken sailor so that that might be uh, the one problem that uh, that I that okay. I bring to any relationship all right well this has been a lot of fun yeah, John John is an old man two cocktails in I didn't feel them I didn't feel them, but it's I'm two hours John later. Is an old man. Uh, I I didn't feel these cocktails, but they definitely That's have good. Yeah, this uh, the tequila is actually pretty pretty strong in and of itself, and uh, so yeah, so I can understand. It's it's enough to kind of get get on top of people. So that's fine. I gotta wake up early tomorrow morning. I uh, guy's coming over to do a hot water heater for me. So yay, adult life. Most of our Listeners, I don't even know if they're adults or not. I don't know who our listeners are. John and myself. Should I be suspicious? What do you mean? You got. I have somebody coming over over to uh, install a hot water heater tomorrow. Hot water heater. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a euphemism. It's not a euphemism. It is somebody is coming over to install a hot water heater in my house because my hot water heater is old. It's twenty years old, and it needs to be replaced. This is this is me being an adult, an actual adult, like which is surprising for most people. Fine. Okay. Ah, oh, John, I love you, brother. You you really are though. You you're my brother uh, from another mother. Um, sure, sure, sure. I am. <laughs> You know, I really do hope one day to get the video of this whole conversation out. Uh, so just to see, because the reactions are actually going to be funnier than listening to this whole conversation in the podcast. So, <laughs> Okay. All right, then. It well, has been, been a good night. And then I've, I've been, I've yes, been listening. We, had, so. we, had, we took two weeks because you were in Myrtle Beach. I was right. in uh, uh, Cancun. And so we'll, we'll get back to it. Um, and we'll try to make these more regular as well for all of our listening audience, the two of us just listening to each other and then downloading it on a VPN to make the stats look better. <laughs> all right. Have a good all night. Right, so man. this has been Steve. And this has and been Quixotic. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. <laughs>